Good morning, and welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, your source for all things Vanderbilt and your home of the world's most worst internet connection possible. I'm so flustered that I've I can't even get my grammar right anymore. But that's where we are this morning. Uh, I have tried everything under the sun to get this fixed, and so don't know how this is going to go today. But we're gonna we're about to find out together. Our show is sponsored by the Wash House. Are you dreading laundry day? No, that's not what I dread. What I dread is getting up and see if my internet works or not. Uh, but you know what? If I had Wash House, I wouldn't have to dread laundry day because they don't steal times from things you enjoy. Uh, let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry and our professional attendants will give you back the one thing you can never have enough of and that is your time within 24 hours you can pick up your nicely folded fresh and clean laundry to be put away check them out at washhouseclean.com stop in today get your time back uh, our news is if Vanderbilt's got a football game saturday they play at unlv that'll be a subject of discussion you can catch that at six central on the cbs sports network so check your cable package ladies and gentlemen make sure you get that one uh, that should still be in mind uh, but better better figure that out. I'm gonna have more tech issues this week. Well, and it's All funny, right. Chris. It's almost like it's harder to find the game now than it even was uh, five, ten years ago. Sometimes I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, you, you know how hard it was to find the game Saturday. That, that's another thing we can get started on since we're just on a, a rampage of complaints this morning. Uh, <laughs> that was that was another ridiculous thing. But anyway, um, <laughs> man, I'm in a grumpy mood. Our guest today is Luke Wyatt. <laughs> We will discuss, again, we'll discuss the upcoming game with UNLV. We will discuss the game in the rearview mirror with Wake Forest. And our show comes from the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Studio, which is presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, partnership began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairies in Nashville to provide milk and and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee. You know what I need right now? I need a good thing of moose tracks. We're out of moose tracks. I got chocolate and vanilla in the freezer. I might have to give my wife better instructions on what to get next time. But you know, get, that's pretty get to good. the grocery store. I, I threw some sprinkles on the vanilla last night. I was a little stressed out. Um, the internet <laughs> stuff and everything. You know what? It made me feel instantly better. You know what else I found out purity ice cream is good for, guys? What's what? that? Dog obedience. Really? dog obedience yes that's big that's big for oreo it it is uh we have this war every day where he wants to walk but he's not going to make it easy so what he makes you do is chase him around the house and you can't catch him (laughs) you have to put food in front of the door you have to disappear out of sight you have to wait two or three minutes (laughs) to get him to come to the door he wants his cake and he wants to eat it too but you know what i found up speeds up that process when I go to the fridge and he sees me come out with a big chunk of vanilla ice cream, I put that thing on the floor and it speeds up the time considerably. So not only do we love our purity ice cream here, the three of us, but so does Oreo. And that, that's the one way that my life got easier last week. It might be the only way um, until they fix these, these issues I'm having with the Internet. But at least thank God for purity ice cream because that got me back a couple of minutes last week. All right, gentlemen, Vandy can't get back the game in Wake Forest. 
Uh, speaking honestly, I, I thought that was a bitter disappointment. Billy, you were there. What were your thoughts coming out of that one? Well, yeah, disappointment, Chris. And, and you know, we're saying the same thing after the, the first couple of games. Sloppy, you know, sloppy, careless, um, you know, lackadaisical at times. Uh, and Dave Clawson said at halftime, this is an evenly matched game, right? I mean, but the turnovers were the, were the difference. They were the difference in the first half and they were the difference in the second half. Um, I thought Wake's running game uh, in the second half sort of iced the game a little bit. Uh, and Luke and I were talking before we recorded, Vanderbilt's tackling was very poor as well. And so I think the big question is, are these fixable issues, right? Are, are these issues that, you know, they can get to we- get to work and, and you know, get back in, in the lab and get these fixed? Or are these, you know, are these lack of athleticism? Again, I, I don't, I don't think that's the answer. But I mean, I think that's a question to be asked. Um, and and the, you know, they'll they'll shift some things around and they'll they'll figure it out. Uh, but I think this was this was a wake up call. Clark Lee said that after the game that you know this can serve as a wake up call. And so we'll we'll see how Vanderbilt uh, responds against UNLV. But um, but yeah, Chris, the first half was was plagued by mistakes and that set the tone for the rest of the game. So uh, same, same things, different week for Vanderbilt. Uh, they, they've, they've got to get those cleaned up. If, if this team wants to go bowling. Luke, Luke again, turnovers, uh, Billy and I were talking before we got on the air, the play with Shepard, I thought was the key to the game. Uh, when he fumbled right before half, we would still have 50-something seconds. We could have either gone into the half down three or tied. Um, that just That's a 10- to 13-point swing. Uh, Vanderbilt is never going to beat anybody when, they're, when they give away play Christmas like that, play Santa Claus like that. That's, they can't do it. As far yeah. as tackling, I, w- I go back, and I know you guys don't have time because you all have full-time jobs. I'm retired, so I can do this. I always go back and watch the game, rewind plays that I'm wondering, okay, why did this happen? The run fits and stuff were fine. They were where they're supposed to be most of the time as far as the – it's just the tackling technique was awful, number one. And second is when the, when Vanderbilt gets behind, I've said this before, those kids press so much in situations where they know, okay, we can take advantage of this, we can put ourselves in a good position. That's when they screw up, for a better word. They just do. And uh, until they get that confidence level a, a tick or two higher – you're going to see this from time to time. Good news, and this may be a worthless stat, but uh, take it for what it's worth. In the nine bowl games Vanderbilt's been to in their history, in seven of them, or excuse me, all but one of them, they've lost to a non-conference team. They haven't been 4-0 or whatever it may be. So it's not the end of the world when you lose. I've, I've said that when the season started. Everyone said Wake is a must win. I don't see that. I still don't see that. Now this weekend, must win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guys, a, a lot of people on our board took issue with the coaching this weekend. I'll get into that in a minute. I did not think Saturday's game was on coaching. I, I thought that was on execution. The, the, the tackling was – I don't know that I've ever seen a Vanderbilt team that tackled much worse than it did Saturday. Uh, the, the the throw that Swan made on the pick, I mean, he, he must have underthrown that ball seven or eight yards into double coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that's not how they're coached. That that's the part that I didn't get. L- Luke, what's your what's your best explanation for the execution stuff 
we saw Saturdays. I just go back to, to pressing. I, I don't know how I don't know how it causes you to miss tackles or, or throw an interception on the game's third play when you you know you you're you're a minute into the game. Well, being an armchair quarterback, um, I didn't like the play call, honestly. With the talent that we have and the speed we have at receiver, to throw that to Logan Kyle, uh, nothing against Logan. Obviously, he's a good football player, but that's not my first option ever. And especially early in the game when he's not really loosened up, ready to throw a deep ball. And that's why he underthrew it so poorly because we had a little pressure, but also he hadn't thrown the ball I guess, but what was it? The fourth play of the game. So I, I that's the only Third. time question coaching there. I, I didn't like that play call. I, I want to ask you something on that. Sure. How was Logan Kyle getting double covered on that play? Was, was there something that they tipped off that they knew that that's where the ball was going? That, that was well, just, the safety, that was odd. The safety had come over. It was intercepted by the safety, right? Luke. Yes. Right. And, and, Pass was so underthrown, and it was like a little weak pop-up. So he yeah. saw it early on and just kind of jogged. Yeah. It wasn't even a difficult play. I think any of us three could have picked it off. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I'll say this too. Vanderbilt had their chances in this game. Oh. I mean, they, they had they had golden opportunities. Uh, they had four opportunities from the one-yard line, couldn't get it in, right? And, and you know, you also saw uh, C.J. Taylor – you know, gave them another, you know, new life. And, and they, you know, they just couldn't, they couldn't, uh, they just couldn't take advantage of what Wake, you know, had given them. Uh, but Wake did that. Every time Vanderbilt gave Wake's, Wake things, they took it and ran with it. Um, I, I didn't think the offensive line held up well, um, really much at all. Um, but I think some silver lining in this game is that the, the skill on this team is going to give this team a chance. Right. I, mean, I thought Patrick Smith ran well at times. Cedric Alexander as well. Uh, Shepard McGowan, Humphrey, Cheryl. We saw London Humphreys, you know, SEC freshman of the week for, for his performance. So, you know, that's the silver lining here. But you cannot play this sloppy, no matter, you know, no matter how many skill players you have. You just, you can't. I want to direct this one at Luke because this was a, constant topic of conversation on the board um look I, I think the coaches came into this season thinking this team's going to be a lot better i think we all did uh the evidence does not support that at, at this point now, look there's a, there's a long way to go we saw last year's team uh, play much better after looking just sure. absolutely dreadful you know mid-season really two-thirds of the way into the season so i think that is on the table but I think what you have is you got a fan base is looking around the country saying, here we are in year three. You got Deion Sanders turning it around at Colorado from a team that was and, – and I realize that some of these are unfair comparisons, okay? I'm going to get that out there on the front end. But you got Deion Sanders getting it turned around at Colorado in year one. They lost an average game by 29 points a year ago. And I get that you know he brought in 86 new guys. You cannot flip a roster like that at Vanderbilt. So let's take that one off the table. But you've got Duke would be one example where Mike Elko took over for you know a program that wasn't in a great spot at the time, maybe better than we thought. Yeah, he's beat a ranked Clemson team, won nine games a year ago. You're looking around the country, you're seeing you know look Tennessee again, not a fair comparison in some ways, but Josh Heupel came in with a system that that changed things and made that team better. 
right now, um, and look, I, I don't blame them. I, I think last week's loss was more on the players. Again, that nobody made A.J. Swan throw that ball, the third play of the game. Nobody made those kids miss tackles. I mean, those, those were tackles they should make 10 times out of 10 a lot of times, and they didn't. So I'll, I'll give the coaching staff a pass in that aspect. But at the same time, um, when, when you've got coaches around that are doing things with scheme, to, to improve things pretty quickly, you know, and then you've got places like Duke where they're, they're winning games where they haven't won them in a while and beating top-tier programs in the second year of a coach. I, I think people are starting to ask questions. Luke, what, what's fair there? I know that's a, more of, I guess, of a concept than a question I've given you, but what, what's fair and what's not fair with the way that fans are looking at this right now and, and taking issues with coaching? I think what's what's fair is – it's just frustration, but what's fair is this. Let's go back and look at where you took over the program. And it has nothing to do with the football part of it. It has to do with campus and are they supporting the program? And, and, and Chris, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but this is very important. Everyone wants to point to the James Franklin three years. I was there for all of it. I had all the insight. I can tell you exactly why that was so successful. I get a phone call after Robbie Caldwell left, and they're like, we're getting ready to change things, Luke. Just because, I know everybody's down over there right now, but we're getting ready to do things differently here. Well, I know what that meant. That meant we're allowing some exceptions, okay? That meant we're going to take this budget that Bobby Johnson and Robbie Caldwell the last two years couldn't buy paper clips and post-it notes. We're going to give this man that we're hiring anything and everything he needs to be successful. That's exactly what that was. So that's what I call a sugar rush. That's not something that can, and then we, we know what happened there at the end. So we've had the whiplash effect of that. Derek Mason had had a couple of good years when, when, when Kyle Shermer was his quarterback. So you have to look, he took Clark, took it over and I've been at Vandy since the seventies. Clark took it over at the depth of pitiful, it was awful from the campus to the McGugan Center, the way it was being run, uh, the care for the players inside and outside of football. Um, it's it, We came as close as we've ever come to uh, shutting down a football program without actually shutting it down. So that's where he's taking it from. Duke is a – maybe that's the fairest, but, but Cutcliffe did a great job there. He kind of got to the point where, okay, yeah, I guess they were what three and nine when he left or something or four and eight, mm-hmm. but that's that's going to happen at a Duke or a Vanderbilt or a Wake Forest every once in a while. You're going to have one of those clunkers. So I, I just feel like people don't they just don't understand, and I know why they don't understand that we were at the rock bottom of how a, a Power Five program could be. Can't couldn't have been any worse. It, it was James getting stuff that Clark is not. Well, now I think Clark is getting things that he should. Now it's a different; it's already a different era, believe it or not, with NIL and all that. So it's kind of hard to compare it. No, I think Clark's getting what he needs now from the NIL standpoint and what the uh, what the uh, boosters can supply him. No, I don't think it's in comparison. It's going to be in the bottom one or two in the in the league as far as how much money is being paid to players, so to speak. I mean, just speaking raw here. Um, that part of it has got to get better. I, I uh, you know, I went, I looked at all the comments on the board, and some of them are very thought out. Some of them are just anger and 
knee jerk because you know played so poorly and it's aggravating because you know if you played better you could have won. Um, but yeah, it's he's getting he's not getting what Franklin got as far as look. If you tell us the kid needs to be in school, we'll get him in. I don't think any coach will ever get that to get it better, Bill. Yeah. David had sort of decided we're going to win with James come hell or high water and come however that goes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that James got stuff. No, no coach, probably including Tim Corbin never got in that regard. Is that fair? That's a hundred percent fair. Okay. Here's the follow-up question. Um, how far off are they on NIL? I, I have an idea of, of what they want, and, and it's not what – I'm not sure it's what the rest of the league wants, but do they have what they want to get it done? Uh, we won't know that until the end of the season. Retention is okay. the big – you know, I, I don't think as freshmen you pay – you know, like what Tennessee paid their backup quarterback, the millions of dollars that kid got. And I know for a fact he got at least $2 million, at least. It may be more. Oh, and he hasn't played a snap. He may, depending on how that if Milton keeps playing way he against Austin P. But I don't think we're doing that with freshmen. No. Now retention. That's where we need to, in my opinion, and Clark may disagree. That's where we have to put our, you know, keeping the kids. As soon as the season's over, that's when here come the buzzards. Well, let's pluck this guy from Vanderbilt. Let's pluck this guy from Wake Forest. That's when that's going to happen. So. I don't know that uh, we spend that much money. We obviously don't spend as much as a Tennessee or an Alabama or a Texas A&M, and we never will. But those four or five other teams, the Missouris, the Mississippis, those are the teams we have to be on equal footing. All right, I want want to ask you another thing, and this is what I don't get, okay? I've said for a long time, hey, NIL could could benefit Vanderbilt. I mean, you, you look at the money that campus has, I mean, look at the the dorm they just – the billion-dollar dorm or whatever they just built that casts a shadow almost on the football stadium. Uh, there is money at Vanderbilt. There are mega, mega, mega wealthy donors at Vanderbilt. Now, maybe 10% of them are concerned with football in terms of that mega wealth, but there's enough money there. Here's what I don't understand. The talk is they're going to end up spending close to a billion dollars on facilities I'll excuse my, how do they not have a pot to pee in, in terms of NIL? That's what I don't understand. Totally. I think working through the, the inner workings of it, how, you know, do we want to spread our money out through all the programs instead of focusing on football? I think you've got a problem at other schools with NIL in their other sports. Whereas at Vanderbilt, I think the other sports may do better than some of those state schools if that makes sense. And well, let me got, ask you, are, are, we, are we speculating or is this with some knowledge behind it? This is some, with some knowledge behind it. Okay. Why? Why is it, is that a, it, it, uh, be like, okay, if, Chris, let me ask you this. Okay. If you're a Vanderbilt, put yourself that you're a Vanderbilt fan and you have unlimited resources, but your daughter plays on the tennis team. Where would your money go? It go to tennis. I, I get, I get that, but that, that's 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 an outlier, right? Right, but I'm saying, you know, it's just like the ten million that just got given to the for the baseball, the ten million dollars for baseball by an anonymous donor. Okay, we don't have that in football because we've had such a history of losing that people say it's not a good investment. You have yeah. to 
these folks, look, it's going to take this. And they've been told over the years, you know, my good friend, John Rich, God rest his soul. They used to tell him all the time, why are you throwing money down that black hole over there? It's different now. And people have to understand that. It's not throwing money down a black hole. We have a chancellor who cares. We have a head football coach who is going to die on the stake for Vanderbilt football. So it is time to give if you can. But I just think a lot of people just are hesitant to give that money. I mean, let's be honest. We have we have alumni who could write could could pin one check to take care of NIL every year, but no, yeah. they're not. Doing that. They're well, not. And, and I guess that's what I'm getting. They, they are you're you're getting the money like they're funding the money for the facilities, some right. way. The NIL, what they're asking is is a drop in the bucket compared to that. I just don't understand why. Is it just people can't get their heads around giving over here, but they can on giving over there? Is it just such a new concept and People just think the idea of paying student athletes is, is kind of gross. I talked to a friend of mine who could who could afford to do this. Okay. He could give, if he wanted to, he could give multi-millions right now. And he told me the same thing what I just kind of explained to you. Gosh, we gotta almost win first. And I'm like, but it's gonna take that to win. You know, which comes first, chicken or the egg? And in this world. With us, we're not knowing where this NIL thing is going to end up, how long it's going to take to change it. Where we are is where we are. And if we don't be careful, we're going to fall so far back that you can't recover. Okay, I, I want to ask you one more thing on the on the women's tennis versus football thing that you brought up uh, a minute ago. And, and I get that we're in this world where everything doesn't like quite add up yet, right? You've got you got money's pouring in for football. I, I I seriously doubt that Alabama's got this huge fund for women's tennis, right? But right. you got this world in which you're you're bound by government funding and Title IX. Is is this a case where Vanderbilt is trying to stick to the letter of the law, or is this a case where its ideology is maybe exerting an undue influence on where where the money goes or doesn't go? And and I may be asking you to speculate here. But I mean, that's that's the that's one of the things that I'm having trouble reconciling is is this whole nil thing and because I like I'll give you an example when when Jerry Stackhouse requested a bodyguard for things, well, what did they do? They they stepped in and, and gave Stephanie White one too because you do for the women what you do for the men, uh, which you know look if. if you know, if you couldn't fight off the five people yourself in the gym when she was playing, then then God help you. I don't know why she needed a bodyguard, but that's just how Vanderbilt has worked at times. Again, that, that may be more of a concept than a question I'm throwing at you, but I'm just kind of wanting some clarity here. I think Vanderbilt will always try to go by the letter of the law. They're not going to do anything to try to embarrass themselves or embarrass themselves. That's the main thing. The, number two, the things that, like you're talking about with the bodyguard stuff, I think if Clark asked for that, he'd get it. I think if any coach had a reason to ask for it, they'd get it. Now, did Stephanie have a reason? In my opinion, no. But no, just say that. I don't. I don't think there's any more of that. I think Deermeyer steps in when he has to with Candace, and if there's something like that needs to happen. But the the thing is, like you said, let's go back to the one thing you ask. Vanderbilt will stick to the letter of the law. They're going to do that. They're not going to just have it freewheeling throwing in money, you know, popping money out. It, it was never going to happen like that. 
So the guys have to step forward that can. And the university can. I agree with you. One thing, 100%, I agree with you. There's no reason if you're spending all this money on facilities, you're building a facility that no one else is going to come to except the other team's fans unless you yeah. have product on the field. I 100% agree. Well, and here's here's the thing, Billy. I don't mean to just shut you out for this long. I just have so many follow-up questions. And look at no, those stuff you and I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing from you is you've got a booster booster culture that has not yet grasped what it takes to win in this environment. Agree. And you also university that I'm sure Daniel fights a lot with the, not necessarily the board of trust, but with whoever he's fighting with on this to approach someone about, Hey, look, we need a hundred million dollars for this or a hundred million dollars for that. I think he gets some doors shut in his face, even though he's doing everything he can for athletics. Yeah, I I think you could take a fraction of what's been spent on facilities and direct it towards NIL, and and you could get this turn. And look, they they need both, right? I I just don't. Vanderbilt's such a place of bright people. I thought, you know, when, when this NIL thing came, I'm like, hey, if you guys play your cards right, you make up a lot of ground. And I I get that some of that is at odds with how they're trying to build it. Uh, but but let's step into the real world for just a minute. And like you said, I mean, Tennessee's backup quarterback got at least two million. I'm not sure they've spent two million on all athletes and all sports on NIL yet. Well, I'll give you an example of a positive: the Tyron Lawrence situation. Mm-hmm. You know, we I, I don't know where the money came from, but I do know he was taken care of. So in football, you're you're looking at a bunch of obviously more numbers. And you're having to protect more kids. Like when the season's over, you got to protect CJ Taylor. You got to protect Derricky, whoever it is that you pinpoint. Look, we got to keep this guy here. So that's the that's when if we start losing those, we'll know come January if this is going to work long term. Because if we lose three or four or five guys to the portal that are playing right now and playing the majority of snaps, then we know we got a big problem. Well, and one more thing before I, l- I let Billy go here. Um, look, they, they got a they got a kid who was a starting corner for them at spring that's that's sitting the bench down at Miami, and that was that was a money thing. Well, is a money. I, I don't I don't think that I, that's I think that's a hundred percent true. That's true, Chris. But let me say this: the kid's not playing at Miami. You're right. So right. was he that good? You have to make a decision: is this kid the kid we want to spend the money on? You know, obviously we had trouble at corner, but is he better than Martel Hyde? Is he better than who we brought? Yeah, in? but 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 if if he's their starting corner in April, that's the best they got. I mean, at that point, we're just getting into the weeds on other stuff. I mean, maybe maybe at that point, it's it's incumbent on them to recruit better corners. But my point is, he was good enough to start for them in April. Right, I understand that, but so was B.J. Anderson, and he had a tough time so far this year. He's been he's a senior, so I don't know. I you know, there's there's certain kids that you feel like, all right, we're not getting in a bidding war. I don't think Clark stands out, sits in his office and waits for the kids to come in and say, hey, what? how much am I getting of the pie? It, it doesn't work that way. The coaches have to weigh all the decisions of who, who can we – where do we best spend this NIL? And, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I like Jadeus, but there it was a gamble to pay him at money. Yeah, he may have been a starter, but – there's also starters that wind up not being starters, and you're going to see that this weekend, I think. Yeah, Camorian Pimpton is another guy too. 
that uh yes. was a was a recruit he did not get to campus right um, and he hasn't pl- I don't think he's played yet at LSU he's a guy that probably would have started at tight end by now I mean you could argue that at Vanderbilt so you know that's going to happen with, with some kids I think you see them where they value the money you know and they'll go to that bigger school as opposed to to buying into you know the the vision that Clark Lee has um but I think it's a good point Chris about Richard that that can't happen too often or else it'll really start to hurt this program. Um, you know, the, which an NIL will help, right? I think they, they helped the program a lot with a few guys in the off season. Right. And so, you know, they got to keep building on that, I think. Well, and, and you guys just made sort of a point for me and, and look, I didn't even know we were going to go down the NIL rabbit hole today. We sometimes this thing just goes where it goes. And I hear a comment and I ask a follow-up question and, and here we are, but, let's let's put our 30,000 foot view on here you're talking about a kid that, that would would have started at corner for Vanderbilt that's getting reserve reps at another school in other words another school could pay him enough to where he could go sit the bench there rather than than start for Vanderbilt uh and you got another kid I mean Pimpton's I don't think is even on their depth chart and he would be starting here at LSU yeah. so that that's kind of where they are you you got teams that can afford that they're competing against that can afford to have players sit on the bench and rot and pay them money. Whereas Vanderbilt couldn't afford to, to that's keep the a guy two, that's two guys that would have been in much bigger roles and would be helping them right now. That's all I'm saying. Um, you know, no, nobody asked me to say that. I just kind of watching and, and looking around at what's going on. Uh, and, and that's what I don't get. I just think with as much, as many resources as Vanderbilt's got and as, you know, as many smart people as there are over there, I, I don't understand why, why we're sitting here having this discussion, you know, third week of the season while NIL has been a thing for over two years now. How, how did it, how, how are we at this point where nobody's figured this out? That's what I don't get. Well, and, and I, I'll throw this to Vanderbilt's in, in the SEC and the SEC, you know, is, is the king of college football and they're adding Texas and Oklahoma next year. Um, a team like a Wake Forest, right. Or a Duke, you know, they can sort of, you know, fend for themselves and, and, you know, do the same things Vanderbilt does, but they're in the ACC. Right. So that's, you know, I think that's a distinction as well, but you're right, Chris. I mean, um, there's some things that have to change. And I think Vanderbilt fans really hope that, that they do. Have we offended Luke? I think yeah, Luke. Uh, Luke. Luke went black on us. Maybe we need more nil money for Luke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, since just the two of us for a minute, uh, where would you like to go next? I know we've got the mailbag to get to in a few minutes. Any other topics of relevance before we go there? Yeah, I got a few more things to hit on, Chris. Uh, C.J. Taylor, you know, a- as we know, was phenomenal. Uh, the defensive line, I-, I think, has to get more pressure. Uh, Mitch Griffiths had all day as uh, <laughs> this is great video here as Luke gets his camera Sorry. back up. Um, My apparatus. But... <laughs> now we know what your ceiling looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought the third and 19 early in the game was huge. BJ Anderson was called for pass interference. Um, and then later that possession, he got called for pass interference in the end zone. So, you know, it's a new corner this week that a dynamic offense picked on. In week one, we saw Hawaii pick on Tyson Russell. This week, it was B.J. Anderson uh, against Wake Forest. 
Uh, I thought you mentioned it earlier, Luke, the, the fumble on the punt w- was huge. And Clark Lee mentioned that Tyson Russell sort of got, got pushed into Shepard by a Wake Forest player. Um, I'm not blaming that on Russell. I think as if you're, if you're Shepard, you've got to, you've got to know if you're coming up to catch a ball, a lot of times you're going to contact will be made right after the catch. I thought it was a bad day for the special teams unit. And I said that last week, I said, knock on wood, they'll probably have a bad week this weekend because I said they were top 15 in the country. I think they're 21 now. Um, so bad day for special teams. And when you have a bad day for special teams and you know, this Luke and you're at Vandy, that's usually not a part of the formula, right? As Clark says, that's not in the recipe for success. And then after that, uh, that, that fumble Swan throws another, inter- another interception. So it just, it feels like it snowballs for this team sometimes, right? You get one mistake and then you're like, uh Oh, you know, there's this thought of when's the next one coming, you know, when, Vanderbilt needs somebody to step up after a mistake and and say, hey, this is not happening. Maybe that guy is A.J. Swan. Maybe it's somebody else on offense. But, you know, you just cannot afford uh, to have a lot of these mistakes. thought Derricky Wright didn't look 100%. I don't know if you know, um, if you thought the same, Luke or Chris. Uh, he was out there, So and Clark credited that. You know, he, he was a warrior in that game. So those are kind of my final thoughts. I know we, we've got some questions to get to, but as I said at the top, I thought there was a lack of focus on certain plays. Um, just just sloppy, you know, sloppy, similar to the first couple of games. And, you know, that, that has to change. Any other thoughts before we hit the mailbag? I'm good. Let's hit the mailbag. All right, let's get to the mailbag. It is brought to you by Sutherland and Belk, family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt or in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. All right, we'll go me, Chris, and then Luke for the order of this. We'll start with VUNGA. Should Coach Lee sit B.J. Anderson and Tyson Russell and go with the younger DBs? I feel like we we uh, we get this question every week. Uh, this week's depth chart has, let's see here, it's got Tyson Russell at one corner and B.J. Anderson at the other corner. Um, and I said, I said this last week, the corner position as a whole is, is weak right now. It, it, I think everyone would agree with that. Right, it's not just Russell and Anderson. Martell Height got scored on in the red zone, right? Mitch Griffiths pointed that out. He said, "I've got a freshman out there on an experienced receiver. I'm going at him." Right, and they would have done the same thing with Trudell Berry. So they've got this coaching staff is not going to throw guys out there that aren't the best options, you know. So this this question of Russell and Anderson, you know, I want fans to understand that that the corner position is weak as a whole. They're going to struggle all year. A lot of teams are going to struggle all year at the corner position. It's not just Vanderbilt. Um, Yeah. Anderson played poorly. I mean, you know, he had the PI and, but another theme here is, and I talked to Jalen Mahoney after the game, he said, he's seen BJ make plays. He's seen him go out there. So, and we, we had just talked about Anderson having a really good day, you know? And, And so, I think Anderson can be better. He will be better. Russell, you know, I, I, I mean, Russell, he in the run game, you know, he's the, he's the best option. Those are the best options. 
So no, they're they're not. Now, of course, if a guy goes down, yes, but I don't see them switching anytime soon unless something cataclysmic happens. I don't know. I don't know what you think, Luke. No, I mean I, I agree with that. There's nothing gonna change. You know, it's and and I, I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand. And you guys watched all of fall practice. And you were still worried about the corners or whatever. When they use technique the way they should, unless it's a, like Banks is a great receiver. Banks will play in the NFL. So if we've got average to below average corners, they're going to get beat. So what has to happen? we got to bring extra folks. We did that a couple of times, didn't get there. So I don't know what else you do as a coaching staff. You know, you can put in height, you can put in, you, you, you know, try Damian Walker, whatever you want to do, but that's going to be the issue right now. And the only way to do that is to be better. You just got to be better. And if, and we, if I, if I didn't think we could be better, I'd be really worried, but we can, and we're going to have a game that's going to pop up. It may be this weekend. It may be two weeks from now against Missouri where those corners are going to get three picks or something like that's going to happen. And we're going to say, Oh, they're, they're really good players now. It doesn't work that way. We are what we are. And so we got to get more pressure on the quarterback to help those guys out. I, I just truly believe that. Before I give you my answer, just a, a quick reminder. Our guest line is presented by John Levin and the Maynard Nexus's government contacts group, which advises contracts group, excuse me, which advises government contractors on all aspects of their needs with a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. They've even got their own Chris Lee who can help you out. They've got a ton of people. So if, if that is the area that you're needing, these guys can help you out. Uh, go to Maynard Nexus's, um, get some advice on your needs and, and they will be more than happy to help you out. Uh, look, I've seen good coaching staffs at Vanderbilt. I've seen bad coaching staffs at Vanderbilt. Uh, I've seen in between. I can probably count on one hand the number of times that, that I go, they're just playing the wrong guy there. Uh, but probably when, when Jordan Matthews was a freshman, uh, might might be one under Bobby Johnson's staff where you're like, hey, that, that kid probably needs to be seeing the field a little bit more given what they're putting out there. But then again, those, those coaches always know stuff that, that I don't know. Look, I, I've been the one – I, I've been consistent. You can you can check the podcast. You can check the, the message boards. I've been consistent that I thought corner was an issue. B.J. Anderson is, is probably one of the more consistent guys. I felt like he probably got burned a little less in fall camp than the others, other guys did, and that, that's probably a little bit of an indictment on, on the competition, or probably a lot of an indictment on the competition. You, you got true freshmen out there. You got second-year players. They're not nearly as polished at that point. Look, here's the other thing. When a coaching staff comes in, a lot of times there's a lot of default to if it's even, let's go find my guy. Let's put our guy out there because he was our recruit. And so coaches, if anything, they've got a bias, in my experience, uh, towards the guy they inherited, you know, in in deference to to the guy they recruited. So B.J. Anderson is still playing at this point. Um. I don't think these guys are stupid. I just think they feel for for reasons, and we may not always know all of them. They they may have some access to intel and some things on coverage that we don't. You, you know, again, you, you don't put a guy out there if you don't think he's your best option, unless you're just stupid and and they're not stupid. 
Yeah, and you know we know how fans are. You know they see a corner get beat immediately. They say, "Let's go to the younger guy. He should be in the game." Right? It, it's it's so easy to say that when in reality that 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 freshman corner or that younger and more inexperienced corner probably would have gotten beaten gotten beat on the same exact play. So that that's that's how it is. I think a lot of times. All right. Well, let go me ahead, ask, Luke. Let me ask one one quick thing, Jeremy Lucian. Did we all? Did anyone rave about him while he was at Vanderbilt? No, I, I thought I thought raving. he turned he turned himself into a really good player. Okay, he's on an NFL roster. So, is that because he was poorly coached at Vanderbilt? You know what I mean? I, again, he no one talked about him while he was at Vanderbilt last year. And, and Luke, and, nobody and talked about of, Trey Herndon when he was at Vanderbilt. Corners just a tough spot to play. Exactly. Yeah, everybody's and, everybody's giving it up. Yeah, and Lucian Lucian came on late in the season, right? I think there were probably, if you go back to last year, some complaints potentially from fans about Lucian. That's right. But by the end of the season, he had turned he had turned himself into a good player. Now he's in Baltimore. So patience is is a virtue, and I think <laughs> I think uh, I think some fans uh, need to need to use that. All right. VU Perrier asks, and this is a really good question that we could probably spend an entire podcast on, and it actually applies to right now. VU Perrier says, I've heard one of the big changes Kirby Smart made from his first few seasons to the past few seasons at Georgia is he really got the players to believe in each other and fight for each other. He has really emphasized team bonding and player leadership, and it has paid off. What is Clark's philosophy on this most critical component of success and do and do you know if he's done anything specific and unique to accomplish this, Luke? You're, I mean, <laughs> you're basically a part of the staff, so I'm sure you'd be the best person to answer this. But I mean, I, you know, I've from the people I've talked to, this is a tight knit group. Um, you know, the seniors are close with the freshmen. Um, there, there, there's young coaches on this staff, young staff members, QC guys. Uh, that that get along really well with these players. I think the staff to player cohesion is really strong uh, with this group. Freshmen that come in, you know, before they even they even get to campus on their visits, you know, they see a lot of this. I think com- camaraderie with a lot of the events, the recruiting events that that this staff puts on. Uh, I think every week the coaches will have uh, have their position groups at their house. You know, that's and and that's basic stuff. But I, I think. I think it does reign true with, with, with this with this program. You know that that's an emphasis that that they cannot be weak on, right? They have to have. You know, this is one of the intangibles that that Clark Lee knows he has to have down pat. You know, because you cannot have um, you know issues within your program. You'll have issues every season, as you know, Luke. Right? There's always um, you know there's always issues within your program. But I think for Clark Lee, that that has been an emphasis. Um, and and we we've heard about it, right? We've heard people people talk about it. Uh, but Luke, I'm sure you know a lot more of the the inside and outs to to what sort of team bonding and and uh, you know chemistry activities this team has done. Well, first of all, when a freshman comes in, he's assigned or a, an upperclassman, most of the time a senior if possible, is assigned to the freshman to mentor him. Basically, he's letting him know the ropes, letting him know when you know. Don't turn your phone on in here. Don't bring your phone to a meeting. Be, make sure you're not late for treatments, all the stuff like that. But the thing I want to bring up is, and this is from sitting in the stands, believe it or not, my wife and I sit in the bridge section, and one of the players 
mothers sits there. I'm not going to say who it is. And she got into a conversation with my wife. And I'm over, I'm just eavesdropping. And this kid plays, but he doesn't play all the time. He plays, you know, some snaps. She said, my child could have gone to three other places. She said, I never realized how important it was for him to go into an atmosphere with a guy like Coach Lee. And she told a story I can't repeat on here that would make everyone out there shut their mouths about uh, culture and how they're treated and how much they care about those kids. She, this was just two games ago, the uh, Hawaii game, that I found all this out. So if you want to – I wish we could have a, a, the parents be on here and find out what kind of culture Clark is building over there. And, it, and uh, that's not an issue. That's not an issue going forward. Yeah, let me let me add one thing. Um, whatever concerns you have about this team, and again, mine mine are corner, defensive line, pass rush, and I, I do think that the coaching staff is going to have to figure some stuff out um, because you got some deficiencies, and that's when you're on your money as coaches is figuring out your way around those. And frankly, I think they have they've underachieved three games in. That said, whatever their issues are, culture is not one of them. I think that. I'll give you a for example that's kind of right in front of your eyes. Go watch the way Clark Lee deals with the media. And then go watch the other 13 SEC coaches. And some of them are some of them are, are good to the media. Some of them are indifferent to the media. Some of them uh, treat the media as if they'd like to you know, throw something at them in the middle of the press conference. So you get a lot of things. And I, I think that that's just who he is. And I think that filters down to other areas of the program. So what, whatever your concerns are about the program, and, and I think there's some that are valid right now, I, I don't think that's on my my list of concerns. He, he also asks, as a second part of his question, we all remember the dramatic improvement our offense made when Andy Ludwig replaced Carl Durrell. With both the current coordinators being elevated from position coaches to coordinators during preseason camps due to lack of better options, and having inconsistent previous track records, do you feel like Clark will evaluate these positions at the end of the season and make changes? Um, you know, every coach evaluates after at the end of the season. Um, so the the first part of that question is: Yes, he will. Every coach is evaluated. Um, will he make the changes? Again, we don't know. Um, I, I've wanted to throw this out there. Um, Offensively, I, I think Joey Lynch has has been phenomenal. We we saw what he could do last year, um, and you know Swan fits well with the scheme. Players, right? Offense, I don't think has been the issue. Defensively, and Luke, you, you're you're probably the guy to ask here. You know, Jesse Minner was with Clark in year one, and it feels like the defense has regressed, um, and that's just an observation of mine. Uh, in terms of, you know, I mean, statistically they have, right? Year two, they were worse than year one, and year three is not tracking well. What do you attribute that to? Well, <clears throat> number one, let's go with Jesse <laughs> took over, first of all, the worst, again, one of the worst situations in Vanderbilt history. Uh, and Jesse, as we see at Michigan's obviously a good defense coordinator. It, it's all about the Jimmys and Joes. I, I don't think we're where we need to be yet personnel wise in year three. 
and it's really year two in my way of thinking. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, comparing Coach Howell and Coach Mentor, I don't know Coach Howell. Don't know him at all. Uh, so I guess my, my, my answer to that is the stats three games into a football season mean absolutely nothing to me because it's, it's three games in, and I saw how much it can change over a period of time. And I don't, I really don't put much stock in them. I know that's why that's what we have to go on. I understand that. And that's why we're talking about this, but I just don't think it's time to judge it quite yet. I'm probably a little more concerned about the defense and the offense. Cause you said the Jimmy's and the Joe's Luke. I think Jesse Minter had fewer Jimmy's and Joe's than, than Nick Howell's got this year. Right. Um, you know, which which begs some questions. And, and look, maybe the answer is just as obvious as, hey, Jesse Minter is now the defensive coordinator at Michigan. That's a top five, top ten program in college football. You know, if you want to go by association, maybe it means Jesse Minter is a is a top five or ten coordinator in college football. If if you want to go by the the water finds its level theory here, so I, I don't know what's true, what's not. I do think that they were better coached under under Minter. I think that they at least made it a point to play the ball aggressively in the secondary, and, and they end up getting some picks, uh, even though they weren't that talented. That that probably kept them in, in some ball games that that they weren't, you know, maybe maybe didn't have some business being in for a bit. I don't know. Uh, I, I just think, I look, I think Jesse Minter was a pretty good coordinator, and would things be a little different with him here? Maybe so. Offense um, – this is interesting. I, I kind of push back on the assumption that the offense got dramatically better under Andy Ludwig. I, I think that's a, a thing where we look at what Ludwig's done at Utah now and, and sort of misremember what he did at Vandy. And again, I don't think that was all his fault. Probably a lot of it wasn't. But this is interesting. The one year under Carl Durrell was 2014, correct, guys? Uh, Make sure I got my math right here. Yeah. James Franklin comes in, they score 391 points. They go to Carl Durrell, they score 208. Andy Ludwig's first year, they actually scored 182 points. So first year under Andy Ludwig, the offense actually scored fewer points than it did under Carl Durrell. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I did not remember it that way, but that's what the that's what the facts are. Now, next year, they scored 299, so they started taking a, a pretty big leap forward, but uh, that's – that's what history shows. And you mentioned offensive coordinator, Chris. The next question is about that. Uh, Colombiano Dor asks, what's the profile of your ideal offensive coordinator candidate? He adds, Coach Lee played under Bobby Johnson and, play, and brings a similar attitude to coaching at times. In what ways should he operate differently than that regime to assure better results? Um, and I don't even know. I don't think I'm the best person to answer that. I think, Luke, you'd probably be – uh, better, but he, you know, he asks, "What's the profile of your ideal offensive coordinator candidate?" Well, to me, it just depends on what you want to do offensively. Obviously, if we if we decide we want to, to me, the hardest thing to defend in college football is a quarterback who can run. Well, that's obviously not what we're doing right now. So, what you have to do is your execution is because you're basically playing eleven on ten when your quarterback is immobile. And I'm not saying Swan's immobile, but he's he's not a running quarterback. So we saw last year in the Kentucky game somewhat and the Florida game and the Hawaii game, Mike Wright's wheels winning games when he couldn't throw the football well. So it's a trade-off. 
So it depends on what, you know, when Jerry DiNardo first came here and he ran the eye bone, everyone was like, this is boring. But he won five games every year. So it's, it depends on what you want to, you know, what your offensive philosophy is. I don't think, I don't think Clark's, uh, you know, saying I'm going to do it this way every year. I think every year stands alone. And you can change that depending on who your coordinator is and your personnel you're recruiting to. Here's the, here's the problem as I see it, guys. Um, the, the offenses that come in and and give people problems are, are built on some sort of a gimmick, whether it's it's tempo like you see at Ole Miss or, or at Tennessee. And I, I get that the reason that they don't want to do that is because that puts your defense on the field and their defense is not in great shape right now. Uh, the other one that you saw was the slow mesh that Wake Forest runs. Different type of gimmick, don't see it a lot. And the point is, like, every time Vanderbilt's got a – got a coaching vacancy you got this voice or two out there that says you know what they need to do is is go hire somebody from army or navy run the triple option something people don't see and win that way well the reason people do that is they're saying if you line up hat for hat and try to beat them with what everybody else is doing you're never going to win that game and i think there's something to be said that i, I guess my big criticism of the offense um, is if they're doing something that's not going to throw somebody for a loop or, or give them some extra layers of preparation, it, it's hard to win that way. Um, and so I, I don't know. I feel like when they go tempo at times, the offense actually does better. Again, I understand the reasons they don't want to do that, but you got to get to a point where maybe you try something a little differently. I, I don't know if that's the answer or not, but that's that's why these things keep coming up. Next question here is a good one from Raiders 1967. Uh, he says, Chris mentioned a few weeks ago that at the time he believed the 2023 Vanderbilt team would be a six-point favorite over the 2022 Vanderbilt team. If Ray Davis is playing for the 2023 team, how does that impact the calculation? So, Chris, I, I'm, it sounds like he's directing that at you. Yeah, I, I still stand by that. I think talent-wise, this team is is better than that team, which is why I've been a little mystified that the performance hasn't been better. Now, are they a better team with Ray Davis? Absolutely. But where I thought they made gains is in that receiver room, and you're seeing it. Now, I, I think the way you fix it is you go more pass-heavy, and maybe that's your answer. If you don't have a gimmick, maybe you throw the ball two-thirds of the time, which I don't think at this point is inappropriate given where their their weapons are. But, yeah, that's how I reconcile that. Then he also asks, would nearly every other present member of the Power Five have found a way to get Ray Davis into grad school? Um, that is – Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct that at you. I, I still am not 100% sure what the issue was here because I've heard different things. I think it was a combination of things. I know Ray wanted money. I know that. I don't care who – what anybody says, I know that. Uh, I do think that we thought that the one thing Ray didn't bring us was breakaway speed. Yeah, he's, he could get you three yards, no doubt about that. And he's a good running back. He's a tough kid. But I just think that that and the fact that school was an issue, because it's been an issue with a lot of kids, uh, the combination of the two was, okay, we can't sit here and throw money at Ray Davis. That's my opinion. I'm not going to say it's 100% true, but I, I think that's where, what it came down to. Okay, I'm, I'm going to make a counterpoint by absurdity. If you had $100 million of NIL money for the football program everywhere, could you throw every year, could you throw money at Ray Davis? Sure. 
sure. point is there's an answer between where they are and that, right? And that's where I I think part of it is staring us straight in the face. And again, I don't I think the coaching staff's gonna have to do a better job. I think the players are gonna have to execute better than they are. But when you're already a program that's saddled with all the things Vanderbilt is, and you're ha- you're already going, you're already admitting defeat with NIL. Well, we're never gonna be what everybody else is. And I get that there's an element that builds into the culture that if you just go out and hiring guns for hire, they're not going to treat your experience as if it's anything different, special. You got academic things. I get all that, but I, I just I look at this, guys. The more we talk about it, and again, this was not the plan coming into the show, but th- there's there's a long way to go from where they are to where they need to be if they're going to turn this around. And I, I don't. We we can explain it away. We can say, well, we're not going to get in a bidding war with so and so. You know, we being Vanderbilt, but. Guys, I, I I can't help but thinking some of this is is right in front of us is an issue that's not being addressed, and I and I don't put that on Clark Lee. That that's got to be a bigger picture thing for boosters, the athletic department, and you you can't tell. Okay, let, let's say Vanderbilt could have turned around and paid Ray Davis a million dollars. Is he in Lexington today? I'm going to guess he's not. If if you know, presuming he was wanted back and got into school and all those other things, am I am I wrong here, Luke? No, I mean, yeah, If you again, if you had um, unlimited money, like if we were Texas A&M and Ray Davis played for us, he'd still be at Texas A&M. But, yeah. but you're Vanderbilt. Look around. You, you've got a billion-dollar dorm that practically casts a shadow on the football stadium. I, I don't get why you got all these crazy resources over here, you know, to, to buy ice sculptures or whatever for when, when Zeppos retires. You know, they, they spent a million dollars on his retirement party. Be- allegedly I, I think that's probably not, not i mean it was i, I take that back it's, it's been a while but i was i was told from some people on campus that they spent an absurd amount of money on on that and, and do things like that all the time how, how do you I'll, I'll give you an example this, this is what has always just amazed me about vanderbilt and I'll, I'll give you i, I will i will make this more vague Let, let's say we had a family friend a little different than that that, that would come to our house every year for Thanksgiving for dinner. Uh, for, for, let's just call it friend of a friend to, to keep everybody safe here. This person had oodles of money. Oodles of money to pay for whatever they needed. This person would go stand in the government cheese line on Thursdays or whatever, just, just because. Vanderbilt's got all these resources. And and it, it look, it, it has gotten way better, but I, I don't understand this this need to go stand in the government cheese line when you got resources out there to help you solve your problems. And, and that's one thing culturally about Vanderbilt that I, I just have never understood. You've got resources there that can be redirected to help you solve some of these issues. And, and just nobody, I don't think anybody sees it. I, I just don't think that's how people think over there. You know, we said, you say, Chris, we don't blame that on Clark. Who Whose feet do we lay that at? Do we lay that at the board of trust, Daniel Deermeyer, Candace Lee, who's, who do we lay that at the feet? I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a cultural thing. I, I just think that that's just not how they think. For some reason, we, we've gotten conditioned to this idea for so long that players are not entitled to any of the revenue that they produce. Um, when they're making these schools tens of millions of dollars off football, and I get that that has it's, – it's not apples to apples. That money has to be reallocated because – you, you got a government that says, well, you got to spend this for women's volleyball and whatever. I get that you have that component of it, but with all those resources and all those smart people, 
How are we at this point where we keep coming back to guys that could have helped this team this year that, that are somewhere else? And, oh, by the way, that's the third time money has come up is, is a potential factor. That That's what I don't get. T- to me, there's there's a solution that is right in front of everybody that for some reason people just don't have the the, the will to get to it or, or to see it. Let's go to Godors94. He says, last year, with the exception of Tennessee, we seem to be playing better football towards the end of the season. What were we doing better then than now? Um, I'm a little confused by that question. He was talking about last year. What were we doing better then than now? Um, I don't really, I don't, are you all getting that question, understanding that? I don't know well, if you, you say if it you, one more time. Yeah, last year, with the exception of Tennessee, we seemed to be playing better football towards the end of the year. What were we doing better then than now? I don't. I'd have to look. Ask. It's probably a lot of it's turnovers. Who your opponent and how you know when Florida comes in. I'm not making excuses. You got to give Vanderbilt credit, but when Florida came in to play us, I could tell in the first five minutes Florida didn't want to be there, and that helped us. Richardson was making decisions. He was just like, get me out of here without getting hurt. He'd throw the football before we, if we put pressure, he just, you know, so they weren't into it. Kind of like Vanderbilt wasn't into it against Hawaii. They weren't into it against Vanderbilt. I think that's what happens sometimes. And at Kentucky, the, you know, Mike Wright makes a, a big play. Will Shepard makes a big, we weren't making those mistakes that we made against Wake Forest. Billy, I, I, I go back to the Florida game. Um, Jason Marshall Jr. fumbled a punt inside the 10. They got a gift touchdown when when Wesley Snelling fell on it in the end zone and in a pile. I mean, I, I say that. They they earned that, right? And that, that could have gone against them too. Did go against them last week against Wake Forest. That's an example of a break that went one way that didn't go their way uh, in Wake. That's, that's basically a 14-point swing when you get one for you as opposed to one against you. Uh, the Kentucky game last year, Kentucky did not have an offense like Tennessee had. The the, the, the offenses that scare me to death, if you're Vanderbilt or, or, or guys like Tennessee, like Ole Miss, where they go tempo, they run a ton of plays, they throw it all over the field. I don't know how they stop that right now. Kentucky last year could not protect Will Levis against the three of us. That's the first time they got a pass rush all game uh, that they cashed in. Were I don't know if Kentucky missed a field goal or two. I don't remember now, but it feels like Style of play and breaks were a little bit of the different, and, and that's why that's why I was not optimistic about the Wake game. Um, I thought they could win it, but I felt like Wake is a team that's going to throw the ball and do things that, that give them problems. You saw what Hawaii did. Uh, that that's just how Wake was built. Now, look, they if you'd said they lose that game by giving up two hundred eighty yard eighty eight yards rushing, I'd have said you're crazy. That's how it went down. I think that's why I'm a little concerned coming out of that game, but. So to me, there was a little bit of difference in style, uh, and I, I just think the, the games where they got obliterated were just games, and I think they should have showed up better, and it shouldn't have been 50 points you know, in terms of scoring margin. But but teams with athletes that can just throw it all over the yard against you, you, you see the issues. I, I don't know what you do to, to close the gap there. It should have been closed a little more, but to, to win those games, I, I just don't think that's on the table for them right now, whereas some other matchups might be. Towards the end, go ahead. Go ahead, Luke. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, let's go back to what I said before when we did the preview of last week. 
I said the only reason it won't be a one-score game is because of turnovers. And that's the only reason it wasn't a one-score game. I mean, yeah, they ran for 288, but the yardage was what? 60 yards of different in offense? Vanderbilt only had 60 less yards than they did in offense. So, yeah, they ran for a lot. We threw for a lot. So it's what, what was the difference? Turnovers. Yep. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> towards the end of these seasons, <clears throat> Vanderbilt will play some teams that sleep and, and underrate Vanderbilt, and, and that's where this team can pounce, you know, force turnovers, get more pressure than they have been. That's another key. They have to get more, more pass rush. You, you just – you have to. Yeah. All right, last one here. <clears throat> Showing Gold asks, what's the word on Newberry? Heard great things about him in camp. Why hasn't he seen the field? Well, you know, New, Newberry's a good player. He's a freshman. Uh, I think they like the guys they have ahead of him right now, Patrick Smith and Cedric Alexander. Alexander got, you know, even more snaps against Wake Forest. I thought he ran well. Uh, Chase Gillespie, we haven't seen a ton of him. Um it's almost like they have resorted to Smith and, and Alexander uh, a little bit. I'm sure you'll see – this is a game you might see Alexander potentially, but they might have already committed to redshirting him. I think that that might be an answer there. I'm not sure uh, what, what you say there, Luke. I, I would say this. It, Clark values what happens in practice each week. And you're going to – you know, yeah, I, and obviously the games. But if Newberry – comes on if you see a flash with a kid in practice and he's consistently doing better picking up the uh, doing a better job blocking or whatever it may be then he's going to give him a shot but guys unless you're there for every practice you're not going to buy depth chart is what it is all right that is all we've got uh one more thing i will say heading into this unlv game I don't know if, if you guys know much about UNLV, but Barry Odom is, is their head coach, and he's a well-respected guy, especially um, you know defensively. So this could be this could be a little bit of a defensive slugfest potentially uh, out out in Vegas, but uh, but we'll see. As you said, Chris, six o'clock kickoff on CBS Sports Network. Prepare accordingly, uh, Vanderbilt fans. <laughs> We've got yeah, a form either make there too. Rick Logo is their defensive line coach. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Great, great person, and he does a great job. I can tell you that those those kids will run through a brick wall for him. He's a great person. Um, I'll go ahead and predict it right now. Vanderbilt will win the game. Vanderbilt will cover the spread. This will be a uh, everybody will be saying, "Okay, we're three and one now." Yeah, I, I agree with Luke on that. Um, here's here's a. Did you remember what happened last time these two teams played? Vanderbilt lost thirty four to ten. Oh, something yeah. like that. At home, I, I I still remember. I, I like. I don't think I wrote a game story. I was getting so many text messages. Like, I think Malcolm's going to make a move. Uh, do you Do you remember that, Luke? Oh, I remember it. I was I was falling asleep in the third quarter. Beginning what what the happened end. there? I mean, were you were you thinking they were going to make a change right after that, or? I, I mean, they could have, but yeah, at that point in time, the way the department was being run, no. Yeah. Well, here here's do you, do you guys remember what happened next week? We won. <laughs> they played Missouri and, and won. won. Do you know who the coach of Missouri was? Barry Odom. Barry Odom. Wow. And wasn't I just the realized quarter- this yesterday? Who was the quarterback that day? 
in the, was that the kid from Clemson? Oh, you oh, no, mean from Mo Vanderbilt? Ha- no, no, Mo no. Hassan. That's when Vanderbilt pulled the uh, the Mo Hassan special. Mo Hassan. Yep. <laughs> and, and, uh, where's the gambling or uh, Florida and <laughs> No, yeah. that's I, no, um, he's not. No, he's no, not no. Florida A&M's quarterback is uh, Jeremy Musa, who's That's who was right. the preseason SWAC player of the year on one thing I looked at. Can you believe <laughs> that? <laughs> oh, man. Vanderbilt uh, quarterback. just a, a weird – I, I, just I will like, say what, this. What a weird series of events. Like, you, you lose <laughs> to you, – you get obliterated by UNLV. You beat a ranked Missouri team the next time. And the guy – and by the way, that's, that's the, the game that sort of ended up setting off the dominoes that cost Barry Odom his job. They lost that one, and then the next four, he got fired at season's end. Now he's the coach at UNLV. I'll say this. There will not, there will not be a lightning delay. This game is indoor, oh, indoors on Saturday it. night. So thank the heavens. So no weather delay. unless it, is it a, It's not retractable. I mean, I guess there, it is possible if it's retractable. Maybe if have, the, you ever seen, have you ever seen lightning strike indoors? I, I've seen glass. <laughs> Sure What's that? Come through glass. I've seen it come through glass. I have. I have too. So yeah. don't don't oh count chickens, Billy. <laughs> we have an don't indoor lightning that. strike. That'll just we will we'll have checked all the bingo spots for the weather this year. I got to yeah. tell a story before we go. Jerry Donardo was the coach. We're playing at Syracuse indoors. I'm in the staff meeting, and he's talking about what shoes we're going to wear on the turf. And uh, he said, "What about the rain shoes? Are you bringing the rain shoes?" I said, it's an indoor facility. He goes, what if the roof leaks? <laughs> Take that risk. If, if the roof leaks and we needed rain shoes, coach, you can fire me. You, Right. That's a good line. That man thought of everything, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, are we, are we done for the day? We're good. All right. Uh, thank you to everybody for watching. Remember, this podcast is free. We hope to keep it that way. Best way to help us is if you're interested in sponsors, email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. Subscribe. It's 100 bucks a year. Hopefully, everybody out there can afford that. I think maybe 10 to 15% of listeners actually do that. That would help us a lot. And uh, give us a rating on your, your favorite platform uh, and a nice comment. That helps us get found a little bit. Anyway, uh, for Luke White and Billy Derrick, I'm Chris Lee. This is the Vandy Sports Podcast. Appreciate you watching. We'll see you again soon.